Now entering Nerdist.com. Welcome to the Writer's Panel. I'm Ben Blacker, the creator and moderator of the podcast. I created the show because I wanted to talk to other writers about the business and process of writing. I've had more than 500 writers on the show, so please check the archives to find more writers and more TV shows of interest to you. I'm a writer myself, having written for Supernatural, Puss in Boots, and other programs. I have a couple of cool projects out this first quarter of 2017 that I hope you'll check out. One is a Supernatural Western comic book series from Boom Publishing that I wrote with my writing partner, Ben Acker, and our friend, the TV showrunner, Andrew Miller. It's beautifully illustrated by Hannah Christensen, and the first issue is available in comic stores and online February 8th. In March comes the first book in a series of young adult novels that Acker and I wrote called Star Wars Join the Resistance. It takes place just before The Force Awakens and is about a bunch of kids who join the fight against the First Order. But mostly they have adventures, fall in love with each other, and get in trouble. I hope you'll check out both of those projects. We're very proud of how they came out. Let me know who you'd like to hear on this podcast by following me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker, like the color, only more so, liking the Writer's Panel on Facebook, and visiting writerspanel.tumblr.com. And if you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Reading those reviews really provides a pick-me-up. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! Hi, you guys. Thanks for being here. Uh, Hillary, let's start with you. Okay. Please introduce yourself. <laughs> Tell us some things we know you from. The end. <laughs> it sounded like there was going to be more. Yeah, okay. Um, no, I'm glad we're introducing ourselves because Lon and I have very similar sounding voices, mm-hmm. so this will help. Um, I'm Hillary Winston. Uh, my my credits, you might know from our community. I worked on the t- first two seasons, and that's all I could really handle emotionally, <laughs> um, even though it was the most fulfilling creative experience of my life. Um, and then I went to Happy Endings. Um, I had a show on CBS for 13 episodes that nobody watched, but my family... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Bad Teacher with mm-hmm. Ari Grainer. She's amazing. Um, and David Allen Greer and uh, Sarah Gilbert. I mean, it was great, great cast. Um, it's one of those things where I keep hoping we'll get, like, discovered by somebody. <laughs> Still waiting. Still it's waiting. out there. Maybe now. Yeah. People can find it after this. Yeah. It's going to be huge. <laughs> so um, I'm working on a pilot right now. So I'm in the middle of casting a pilot that's a redevelopment from a pilot that failed last year. So I get a second oh, really? chance to fail. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah, a pilot. Uh, Henry. I'm Henry Lonzo Myers. I'm, uh, uh, let's see, uh, currently working on a couple of shows. I'm working on this show Future Man for Sony and Hulu, uh, which is a comedy that's uh, hard to describe. (laughs) And then uh, I'm working on the show The The Magicians uh, Mm -hmm. from Sci-Fi, which I've been on since it started. Um, uh, And uh, I have, uh, let's see, I started out in 2001. Uh, working on my first show, which was also for sci-fi, a show called The Chronicle, and then I've been on a bunch of shows since then. I was on Charmed, I was on uh, CSI, I was on Ugly Betty for the run of that show. Um, I was on, uh, let's see, Chuck, a show called GCB, I did a show called Carrie Diaries for a couple years, uh, it was Covert Affairs after that, and then and then I kept, and then Magicians. Great. 
Uh, good. I want to talk about some of that stuff. Sure. Because <laughs> uh, you've sort of carved out an interesting niche for yourself. Right. Which I think is, yeah. is enviable. Mostly, mostly one hour is, is what I've done. Uh, yeah. uh, this is actually the future is the first straight up comedy that I've worked mm-hmm. on, although Ugly Betty was kind of a mix of yeah. comedy people and drama people. And That's we interesting. Did, we, did, we sort of ran the show like a hybrid. Hmm. So Good. We'll talk about it. Sure. Uh, Lon. Uh, I'm Lon Zimmett. Uh, some stuff I've worked on. I got my first job on a show called Worst Week for mm-hmm. CBS. Uh, after that, it was a string of one-year shows that I'm sure people have <laughs> uh, You know, Better With You, which was a great experience, but uh, brilliant, but canceled. Um, Had to Be a Gentleman, which... Uh, you know, short-lived. Uh, but then I also did the ninth season of Scrubs, the the good one, the one the fans still really talk about. Uh, um, but then things got good. I did Happy Endings, which was uh, great. I did the Michael J. Fox show in New York, uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Superstore, and uh, now I'm working on my own uh, pilot that just got picked up for Fox. Oh, congrats. Yeah. So. Uh, let's talk about that. Where were you? What were you doing this week on that pilot? Uh, when, and when did you hear about uh, the pickup to pilot? I think about three weeks ago. I found out officially about the pickup. Uh, and what happens after that? Can you walk, sort of walk us through those three weeks? And Hillary, you can chime in here too because you're in the same situation. Um, you know, right after the pickup, there's the mad scramble for directors. Um, so immediately the emails start. These are the directors we want. You know, who can we get? Uh, and, you know, you're doing that concurrently with line producers because that is important, I learned. Uh, so, uh, so, you know, it's this mad scramble for you have to meet this line producer and this one. Uh, luckily, within three days of that, uh, we found out we got Steve Levitan, who created Modern Family, to direct. Mm-hmm. So luckily that director, Mad Scramble, was off. The line producer, Mad Scramble, was off because he was bringing in his people. So I feel like right away I was like, oh, this is a breeze. Like, that's fine. <laughs> this is making the pilot's easy. Can I ask a quick question? So sure. it's, it's a it's a half-hour single camera right. for network. Right. Which which network? For Fox. Okay. Um, and what what is yours? Is it it's a hybrid? It's right? a yeah, it's a hybrid for CBS. Okay. I, I, and the, yeah, it's like they're still making network shows. It's like <laughs> what's no. happening? Like yeah. How I Met Your Mother type of hybrid. Yeah, How I Met Your Mother. So we have Pam Fryman directing again, who directed last year, who directed pretty much every How I Met Your Mother, and she comes with all her people, which are very important and are amazing. And you realize how great that is, yeah. <laughs> you know. To just not even have to worry about that. That makes yeah. life so you guys, yeah. And they all work well together because, right. you know, I've had that on other pilots. This is my fourth pilot. And, you know, you get people who don't know each other, haven't worked together, thrown together, and they're supposed to, in seven days for a single camera shoot, uh, figure out how to work as a team. And yeah. that's really hard. Yeah. So you guys both sort of got lucky with directors this year. Uh, yeah. And I imagine, though, that sort of eats up a week or so. <laughs> what What happens after that? Um, then we got right into casting, mm-hmm. and it's the immediate, you know, well, we need to make offers to these names immediately, or else, and you don't even have time to think, would they be good? Like, I don't know, I've heard <laughs> yeah. of them, so yeah, so well, sure, let's yeah. make an offer. So there was a part of me that was like, I hope they say no, because I don't know if this is great, but I understand it's a good name. Alon and I, uh, and I script went to the same actor the same weekend. Really? That's why I read Alon's script. <laughs> so I was just like, oh, great, okay, well, here we go. Uh, <laughs> Um, no, I, Which I, one? I did not. Who, are we talking Damon. about Damon? I did not. No, I did not either. So 
we're in fine shape. He went to an FX show. I mean, uh, look, that, but that's the real that's the real issue here right now. Is mm-hmm. it's very hard to get actors to do network TV. It, it sounds crazy because the the paycheck is still there, you know, um, and it's not like there aren't good shows being done on network, but it is harder. The appeal of uh, you know a cooler show on Netflix or mm-hmm. something. That you know is going to be around for at least ten episodes, yeah. You know, and which isn't so, always the case on and, network. Yeah, and people people don't want to do it. I think that it's not as cool, and that's really playing a factor. I think in casting this year, it's the worst casting I've ever seen. Really, yeah, and four pilots. This is the hardest year. Wow. Um, yeah. And what's crazy is that the system seems so broken that all the networks decide to do it all at the same time. Right. So then you're all going after the same people who are slightly available. So there are people on this list that I'm looking at who are read only and I'm, or who are offer only. And I'm just like, how he's he did like a four episode arc on one show yeah. and it's offer only because networks are desperate for any kind of handsome, kind of funny guy in his mid yeah. to early thirties who, uh-huh. you know, and yeah, it's it's a little bit of a of a seller's market. Yeah, and the ratio market? of handsome to funny, like right. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> really, it's a sliding scale. You start yeah. taking one more than the other. Uh, there are so few of us out there. It's tough. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> During this process, um, the, does the, is the script sort of existing as you last left it? Are you rewriting during this process at all? Uh, I am. I'm you starting are. to. Yeah, I almost. Uh, did a big rewrite for an actor and then realized it probably wasn't going to help. But then I'm like, you know what? I'm still going to get in and punch up one of the characters who mm-hmm. I thought was weak, who might be hurting us. But uh, and yours was a spec, right? Which that was, was a little spec. bit different. Right. Really? You didn't go through the standard development right. process, which is interesting and is like I think a big success story. I think it's what we all kind of dream that mm. the network's going to buy our spec that we got to perfectly craft on our own, but yeah. it rarely happens. Um, Did you have to exciting. revise it considerably? Before? They gave me two big sets of. Not big set, but two, like, general notes. One was adding more heart, which made sense for a network sitcom, and one was... Uh, and Lon is very heartless. So. I am. I'm a dick. Constantly in life. It was, I really had to dig deep, and, and it wasn't easy. Did you farm it out? Um, yeah, I had my wife write some of it. Um, and uh, then another one was just a general character overhaul. Like, they were pretty easy, and there's stuff in there that was still there from, like, the first draft. It's mm-hmm. like, there's no way this is still good, because I've just seen it so many times, but it stayed because no one's pointed out yet. Right. Um, but that's an interesting point that you bring up, uh, Hillary. that, you know, this is sort of... This has been the goal, right, is to write a thing and have people <laughs> respond to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like I've been having this conversation more and more in the past year or two where people are really just writing those specs mm-hmm. even before pitching anything. Uh, even, you know, again, writers like yourself who have been in the business for a decade and have mm-hmm. the credits, they're still sort of writing as proof of concept. And I feel like that maybe it makes pitching better. I don't know. What, what was your experience? Did you just kind of send the script out? Did you go and pitch it? Uh, no, it was an idea I had, and I was like, I hadn't written a sample in a while. I was like, so maybe I need a new sample. And I wrote it, and my agents liked it, said, let's get it out. And they got it out to Gary Sanchez, you know, Will Ferrell and Adam McKay's production company, who liked it immediately. And then we said, let's, you know, my agent had a, you know, was friends with one of the Fox executives. Let's said, let's show it to her first. And she liked it. And then, and then, yeah, and then it was just a thing. Um, and so it was pretty smooth and I didn't have to do any rewriting for months. And where was this in the development season? What? This was actually, 
I think we went out with it last February. Um, oh, so wow. it was way before. Oh, wow. Originally, it was going to be a summer series because Fox was looking for cheap summer series. And then uh, they didn't end up doing the summer thing or whatever. So it went into the general development cycle. Interesting. Um, what was your pitching experience with this show specifically? So this one, because it was a redevelopment, what I had to do, I mean, also redevelopment is a big lie that you get told. So (laughs) number one, if you you hear that, it means we really like you and want to work with you on something else again in the future. Um, But, you know, in in our case, it it did work out. Last year, you know, we made a version of this pilot. Um, They had, they liked this web series. Um, I didn't think the web series worked as a show, but I thought it was a good backdoor into a pilot that I wanted to write. Um, That was just about a long-distance relationship that my husband and I, is how we started dating, was New York and L.A. Oh, really? And um, then we shot the pilot about a long-distance relationship because that's what they bought. And then it, when they watched it in May, it was like, well, does it have to be about a long-distance relationship? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so could they be in the same city? <laughs> so, you know, at first I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, we, I, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, is that why I'm Because that first pilot ended with they actually, he went to visit her, right? He, so they he goes were. to visit her, but she doesn't see him. So Oh, have, so he ends up going back. He, he goes oh, back, wow. and she never okay. sees that he went. And so it's a, you know, it's a, it's a romantic comedy. And so in this version now, the, the character, you know, kind of makes it, makes a big move. They end up mm-hmm. in the same city. Um, and you so, set up a nice dynamic in it. I mean, it, it seems like a good fix to me. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think probably for a series like Long Term, mm-hmm. we, we would have done that anyway. You know, you would have, like, at the, you know, whatever they call now, the, like, mid-season finale is <laughs> a new thing. You know, have have the character move. So I think it actually worked out. I like the redeveloped script. That's what I was concerned about is in, in redevelopment and making sure that you're not taking so many notes that you don't even like what you're doing anymore. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so I do like it. I like this version, and they liked it. I mean, I was hoping that we would, you know, get picked up early, but then I had to do another pilot and didn't finish it to get ahead of regular uh, pilot season, so mm-hmm. I'm just kind of in it with everybody else. So when did you when, when did you get your pickup? Like what part of the year? So it was like three weeks ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you're wow. All right. You guys are in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and where are you right now, Henry? So you're you're working on. Is Magicians ongoing while you work on uh, Future? There's a, like I, we're we're we've just finished up post. Okay. I mean, literally, I'm. I'm like tweeting. That's what I'm doing on that show, and then I'm, 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 I meet with them on occasion. But okay. but mostly I'm full time on Future Man at this point. Okay. So. Um, can you tell me about going from these sort of light hours to this compact half hour? Which I think I'm. I, I only read the script when it was sort of going around. It's a really funny Future show Man. For Future yeah. Man. Uh, I mean, the show is sort of crazy. It's kind of like. Uh, I would say it's like the Terminator if it was a comedy, kind of. <laughs> I mean, and, and Finally. It's, it's very, I mean, it's very ambitious. They want to do a big, um, it's like a, a, they want to do a big science fiction show, but as a comedy, basically. Mm-hmm. Like with, you know, with real fight scenes, real effects, et cetera. And that's more my, that's more like where I come from. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, I'm the only one hour guy on the show. Uh, I actually wasn't, it hasn't been, it's been a surprisingly easy transition because I, I, I worked with a lot of, I mean, on Ugly Betty, we had a lot of half-hour people, and we did punch-up, and we would do a lot of stuff that you know was pretty standard for half-hour rooms. Because I, the, the, I don't know if you guys have worked in one hour at all, mm-hmm. but it's the the. I mean, there's a there's like a big cultural difference. So like you once you have to 
once you've bridged that, it's not that hard to do. But I, I have personally found that in general, I think I think half hour writers have an easier time going to one hour mm-hmm. than the other way around. But but uh, but that's you know certainly not true. Are for you guys everyone. in a big room together? Or do you break? Yeah, you we break story together. together. I mean, with this show, it's. I mean, I feel like we've been doing the the thing that's maybe different from a, a, like a standard network show is that we we we. They had done. It's uh, Ben Carlin is show running, and it's Ariel Shafir and Kyle Hunter, the guys who wrote the pilot. Um, and they had worked for a long time to kind of craft like a, an arc, like for for a, for thirteen episodes. And then the group of us came in, and we really beat the hell out of the entire season. I mean, we wanted to know the every little beat of it because it's a time travel show, and you know, when you deal with time travel, I mean, the, the great thing about it being a comedy is that it's not. <laughs> you know, like you can you can right. do a silly thing and just be like, well, it's a joke. Uh, but we've tried very hard to like stick with the rules and be like true to it. So, uh, uh, like, you know, we we beat out the entire season pretty thoroughly, and then we've kind of gone from episode to episode, and then you know, as and written them as they've gone along, and and then uh, and heavily serialized, like heavily serialized. Yeah, like it's you can't miss an episode. That, that's sort and of the, the network can't throw out an episode. Then. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the nice thing about it. I mean, it is yeah. and it isn't. I wouldn't say that they can't. I would say that, that it, it's a challenge. Uh-huh. Um, well, so. they've been pretty lax with notes. I don't know how they are over there. Um, they, no, they're not. They I mean, they have, I mean, I would say we're probably... Uh, the, we're probably as, as hard on the show certainly as they are because mm-hmm. I mean we we you know like we beta test internally a lot. Right. Um, so I mean a- after we do that we've done now we're doing like now we're more into the comedy world where we're we're doing table reads and then like we had a table read of the first two episodes this week and then we were doing revisions on it. We kind of had to rebreak one of the episodes and then you know uh, uh, and as we, we're sort of revising the scripts that we have as a room and and uh, and punching it up and uh, as we also are kind of rebreaking a couple of the episodes mm. so um you know so that was that was this week table read <laughs> rebreak uh and a lot of a lot of punch yeah, up first first table read right or, first table yeah. read yeah oh, well. it was our first table read okay yeah Hours so. better on half hour on this or on hour longs? Um, that hasn't been too bad. <laughs> One hours always, for the most part, have better have better hours. Yeah, like <laughs> without without question. Um, but you know, I've, my experience has been that like a show that's well run doesn't have terrible hours. You know what I mean? Yeah. And our hours are not unreasonable. It really is like is your showrunner happy with their home life? That's really sure. I think, probably a better yeah. A better, uh, uh, you know, indicator of whether or not you're going to see your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like to talk about. I mean, you guys have been in all kinds of different rooms and differently run rooms and worked with all kinds of showrunners. Um, I'm curious to hear about what rooms you've been in that have worked the best and sort of what made them work. What did you take that you'll take to running your own show from those rooms? Anyone who wants to jump in. You know, my first job was on, well, first, I worked on some kind of smaller shows that, you know, but my first, like, scripted network show was My Name is Earl. Mm -hmm. And Greg Garcia is really amazing at story. And 
I I found that to be really motivating as like a leader because you would kind of feel like, well, I mean, like this is this is good enough. Like this works. Like this story fix works. And then he would come in and he asked these questions, and you know, you start to realize like, yeah, it's just not good enough. You know, <laughs> and it, it kind of you know he just pushed you and challenged you to not stop at the first idea to really push past to the best idea. And I always think about that. And you know, I sometimes am very envious and wish I had his story brain. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, I, it I was going to offer right? a totally different perspective because I, yeah. I, while I respect that, I also think that, that a, a good decision today is better than a great decision tomorrow. Like mm-hmm. most often, especially when you're just you have to move the thing forward. Hmm. Uh, I feel like the best shows I've worked on recognize that the staffs have individual interesting voices and find a way to translate that voice through the show. You know what I mean? It's great when the characters have clear, distinct voices that everyone can bring a perspective to, but it's even better when, you know, like when everyone has a, not every, everyone's not trying for the same type of joke. Everyone has a weird mm-hmm. kind of flavor that they bring to it. I mean, I feel like, I feel like the X-Files was great at that. Like you have, mm-hmm. you have a, a single genre show that is expressed totally differently through everybody. Um, I've just been on a lot of shows where, where we've fought to get the great idea and we've lost weeks and weeks and then just to, Eaten it yeah. because of that. Well, yeah. what it helps. Uh, what helps with that is when you have a showrunner who knows what they want. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the most important thing. And knows when to bail because yeah, I also right. feel like if if a story is just not working, like I do feel like you know Greg Garcia, like you know Harmon is different. We would work something for like forever and ever and ever, you know. Um, but you know Garcia would just kind of be like, no, this isn't right, and we might be annoyed or push back and feel like, oh, we spent two days, but I'd rather know now yeah. than Ooh. to keep at it. Right. You know? Right. Um, and those stories that take two weeks to break. Uh, even, usually not, though. Yeah, they're not want, the ones you yeah, want to be fighting yeah, for, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so how- occasionally there's victory on the end of those. <laughs> <laughs> occasionally. Very occasionally. There was one episode of Superstore that took forever to break, and it was a real hassle, and then it turned into... Uh, like the overnight, you know, episode, and it was probably the best one of the season. So every once in a while, it does yeah, work. Yeah. All hands on deck, yeah. everyone throwing their right. Yeah. Just, I'm so. never doing another Rashomon if I have my say. Right. Like, well, the the stories serious, that are right. the the hardest to break that always kill you are just like when you know you have to do a Thanksgiving episode, or in that case, right. an overnight episode, because it's not a story; it's a concept, and then you're trying to build a story yeah. into a concept, and it takes forever to break. That's the hardest one. It's just like, oh yeah, that's the Thanksgiving episode. We'll do that one. Like, no. You you still need a story for the <laughs> right. Thanksgiving, and it, yeah. I've never had a Thanksgiving episode go well on any right. show I've yeah. ever been on. <laughs> uh, what what have showrunners you guys have worked with done to successfully make that a clear target early on? You know, I mean, I think so many shows go through a learning process. There's often not time for that, and I think many of the best shows have have known what they are from the very beginning. I think Community is an example of that. You know, I, I, I don't think that Dan knew exactly what community was when we started, you know, and I think that, um, you know, I was just having this conversation with my husband last night about, like, introverts versus extroverts and what that really means and, like, I think of what you draw your energy from. And, like, I think that, you know, like, Dan Herman really draws his energy from being around other people and bouncing ideas off other people and living with something mm-hmm. and, you know, working it. And that's what we did at the beginning. I remember the first, like, six weeks of pre-production on community and breaking down every character. We called it character camp. And we broke down every character and we talked about things that were just about like what 
you know, what would you, what would somebody refer to like Britta as, you mm-hmm. know, like, and I was like, she's the kind of girl that doesn't have any girlfriends, you know, like, you know, just doing that kind of stuff. And then the series, I think kind of evolved out of that. And Dan was very comfortable in every season he came in, not like, okay, over hiatus, I've been coming mm-hmm. up with all these ideas and here's a list of 13 episodes I want to do. He really wanted to have an experience with everybody together and figuring out like what, where it should go and what we should do. And at that moment, and he didn't like, you know, stale ideas. And Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, wanted fresh things. And and that's why sometimes pages were delivered on set after (laughs) it had already started. But, you know, it's why that show has such a specific feel to it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think it is like Henry was saying, like it it had that X-Files thing where everyone was feeding into it. Well, every episode feels like it has a different flavor, you know, and a really, you know, it, it feels like there's a lot of voices who are, mm-hmm. in a good way, like who are, who are building sure. that show. And the yeah. discovery of jokes that yeah. only a certain person could make, but that's yeah. why you have a dozen people on was, that was there was, was there some adjustment on the fly? Because I feel, I just remember... It was like, it seemed like this is, oh, the Joel McHale and, and Britta, you know, the will they, won't they hate. And then halfway through, it was just like, oh, no, it's him and Alison Brie now. Like, okay, that's happening. Was that an adjustment on the fly? Cause- you know, that that just kind of like at the, I wrote the season one finale that kind of set up a little bit of like a triangle of like, there's, you know, was he choosing between there was this teacher Slater or Britta um, at the uh, at the transfer dance? <laughs> 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 The tranny dance was what it was, um, and so then, but then he had this really crazy, you know, amazing, you know, moment um, with Allison Bree's character, you know, and then you just were kind of like, oh, there's a spark, and that just came naturally from just those characters and those stories gravitating kind of towards each other, and us wanting to not just go where we wanted to go or what we thought, hmm. and having to shift. And it's like what I always say to actors during casting, and like you know, this week is that the character is going to be a totally different character if you sign on to do it. It's going to evolve and change with what you bring to it and who we cast. And, you know, so every show is a completely different version of what it was going to be with somebody else or other people. Mm-hmm. Is that and what you writers. say to actors? That's good. I'm going to write that down. Okay. <laughs> I, to say to actors. I don't know what I'm saying. It felt like the show had a real, I mean, did it always have, like it had an ambition though too on top of it. Like he was trying to do something like, let's do the, this version of that. You yeah. Know I mean? Yeah. I mean, and I think like, you know, it's, it's, and I really don't say this about a lot of people, but Dan Harmon is a genius and yeah. um, he, he had a vision for like, I wanting to recreate a lot of these pop culture things say something else about them and so yeah we would be like here's the my dinner with andre episode <laughs> you know it's like you know starting with with a concept and a lot of times i think shows are are not good at that and then that particular show was good at it, it was right. set up to tell those kinds of stories but i also always really fought to for meat and potato stories which i think just like you talking about there's different flavors and voices you also have to have different flavors of stories like every episode couldn't be paintball on community right. you know you had to have a, a softer smaller episode where you learn more about those characters and then you earn a My Dinner with Andre. Right. You yeah. know, and it means more. Um, and I think we're always wrestling with that. On just happy endings, we would have that. We would kind of have like a rompier episode mm-hmm. and then we would want to do something that felt a little bit more real, a little bit right. more grounded. Yeah. I'm curious, um, on that show in particular, because you both were on it, how, how uh, did, did the... Do you feel like the voices came from... The, how did you find the voices for those characters? Because those actors were terrific. I mean, you've really found like these great 
you know, the, they seemed like the the voices were specific to those people, and I felt like you were writing really well to their strengths. Mm-hmm. So I was curious, what, like, where did it come from? I came on season two. So <laughs> that, 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 that part was done. I came on season two, so I'll take all the credit. Yeah, right, um, exactly. Yeah. You know, I think on that, like, you know, Cass has has a really strong, like, comedic yeah. voice, but those actors, there was something so yeah. special about their chemistry with each other. I mean, I would be so lucky to have actors that felt yeah. that way about each other, that, you know, it was on set, it was a, it was a competition yeah. of, like, who could be funnier and, you know, who could be the best. And, you know, in a healthy competition, not, you know, like, in a fun way. And they all, they kept pushing themselves, and they pushed the writers, too. I mean, we couldn't just give them anything, and they would just say, um, okay, this seems fine. <laughs> you really had to rise and to their as, level. And, yeah, as actors, they just did a great job of getting six people with really unique, different styles yeah. and voices mm-hmm. that still meshed. And yeah, I appreciate it now even more in casting because I'll see seven people in a row and are just like you're all kind of the same person. Yeah. <laughs> and but the the six, yeah, it was it was unbelievable how that came together. You know, whatever Casp did there, well, those well, actors Casp yeah. really, you know, and you'll talk to him about this. You know, pushed, you know, pushed on casting, and it's really really tough because you know you become you're the most important person in the world until your pilot gets picked up. Then you're the least in person important person, and all of a sudden, like you know, literally this this week have. have have been told that this character that I invented, that I I created in my own brain, that I don't know who is right to play it. <laughs> I mean, I saw an actor and thought, this person is totally right. This is what I envisioned in my head when I wrote it. No, that's not. We don't see it. He, you know, I'll be gender and non-specific. The person does not does not seem to be able to get your comedy. And I was like, but I I'm like I wrote the comedy. Like, I, I, I I I'm telling you. Is it possible you don't get my comedy? Is that really the issue? Yeah. Do you feel like part of this is just? I mean, I know I'm sure it's this is pressure curving studio network, and do you have a pod on this one too? Um, I'm like, well, yeah, sort of. I, I forget because they're writers, so I don't right. see them the same way. No offense to pods, but yeah. um, <laughs> it's uh, Craig Thomas and Carter Bays who created oh, How I Met Your I Mother. I went to college with them. Oh, you did? You yeah, went to Westland? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and Brian Bachrath, who is their uh, CE, and he's amazing and is executive producer on it too. But so those guys are great, and yeah. that's a totally different experience. I mean, you could do a whole session just on like, you know, non writing producers and pods mm-hmm. and what you want out of them. Um, but those guys you can come to with story problems, and that's amazing. Right, and they know how to. They, they know what they're giving you, and they support you. They don't stand in your way. So if I'm like I'm super passionate about this actor, even if they didn't see it, they would be like, "Go for it." Right. Hmm. I am curious to hear from you guys about uh, working with production companies. Uh, you know, it seems like so often now a network is looking for a package, right? And part of that is well, if if uh, Adam McKay's company wants to partner on this, it has an easier path through. Um, what are your expectations of working with a company like that, uh, and, and what has been your experience? You know, what the 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 success stories that I've really heard with Pods are the people that make those calls and go to bat for you as far as getting pickups or getting actors. Like they're they're the. The liaisons you want, I think, to the studios and the networks who will push for you. Mm -hmm. And I was working with, you know, on one of the pilots that didn't go this year with Aaron Kaplan. And Aaron Kaplan feels like he gets a million things on the air because he's the guy who gets Mm -hmm. on the phone and says, I'm sure he does it better than this, but you're a dummy if you don't pick this up. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's the type of people you want to go to bat with you and everything Mm else. Value added. Yes. um, You know, I've worked with mostly... 
non-writing producers, so it's hard to say. But with you know a, a pod who's also a writer, that's when I think I would feel more comfortable going to story problems, or I'm you know battling mm-hmm. up against this, or I'm battling up against this. Um, but I haven't worked with that type of sure. you know pod yet. Really. Um, Henry, what's been your experience? You must have uh, written and sold pilots. That I've I don't, done I don't a few. I'm mostly. I mean, my my I've been mostly a staff monkey for 16 years. I've I've sold a few pilots, uh, um, and I would say I mean I pretty much agree with everything you said. <laughs> like the ones that the, the people that you like are the people who are. <laughs> giving you smart notes and fighting against the dumb ones and like, you know, trying to preserve what it is that you're, you know, that you're doing and or helping to translate what is coming from other people into something that's useful for you in, uh, in, in adapting what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like there's a, there's a whole, a whole, you can have a really great pod and you can have a really troublesome pod. I mean, the worst ones I've known are when the, the, are are uh, this has not been my experience, but I know a lot of people mm-hmm. who've dealt with pods who will act as a conduit, like a back door to the network, and then they sort of position themselves between the network or the studio mm-hmm. and you, and they're trying to create like a you know that they're the channel, and I feel like that that ends up you know that's just a t- that's a terrible situation to be in. I mean the the the, the best situations I feel like are when you've uh, you know. Uh, you know exactly what you want. You make the right stand at the right moment, and you know, meaning early on, you say, "This is what I want." Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm. If you're not interested in this, then we can find you know, you can find someone else to do it. And then, if if that works in your favor, then you win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. it's, I mean, important what you said of like when you have the pod that acts as the conduit. Um, sometimes I think that it really hurts you with your relationships moving forward because you need a relationship with the network. You know, yeah. like I have a great relationship with CBS, you know, network and, you know, studio co-produces it and I have direct relationships and I learned that from my first pilot is that I also want to be on the phone with the agents of the actor that I want, you know, and not just the casting director and not just producers and whoever, like, I want to call and say, I really want this person because of this reason and what's going on and I want to understand the business of it too because I think that, you know, as a showrunner, you're, you're the CEO of it as well and you have to deal with so many things that you want to know how it works and not just like shield me from you know you don't want the, someone else calling the actor for you when you're in production yeah and uh, you yeah. want to be the person that the actor calls yeah and they feel a connection with that everybody feels like you know you know what's going on uh let's let's talk about staffing uh let's talk about being on someone else's staff uh, a show that is not yours and uh you know looking back at, at sort of the early shows that you guys on, whether it was Scrubs or Earl or, or Charmed I saw on your mm-hmm. list. Um, can you tell us about getting the job, getting in the room? Like, l- let's break this down. Do you remember, what was the first big staffing job for you, the one that sort of got you rolling? And how did you get there? Uh, what was your spec script at the time? Um, you know, my first job was worst week. I had a writing partner at the time, and we wrote a spec, uh, you know, a sample mm-hmm. that was about, like, two idiots who work at a flea market every week. And uh, it was very cable, and it was very, 
weird and it was funny and it got us a lot of meetings. And for the longest time, we could not get a job. You know, we we would meet on shows and we just wouldn't be on any list. Did you have a writing partner? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and uh, and you know, even our agents were just like, we don't understand it. You guys, executives love you. People love your material. You can't get these jobs. And then. Uh, Dan, my writing partner at the time, was like talking to his girlfriend about it, like it's weird. And I think one of the first things she asked was, "Well, you guys complimentary of the shows that you meet on?" And it's like, <laughs> "Well, we haven't really liked any of them that much, so we don't go in and say anything like that." Um, it's a good lesson. And it's a good lesson. And then the first job interview after that, we went in and we actually did like the show, so it helped. But we were just abusive. We were like, "This is the show that's going to reinvent television." And then we got hired, and it's just like we could have employed two years ago. But all we had to do was compliment the show. Um, but that's, I want to I want to kind of go back in that for a second and look that is that is a good lesson obviously that is something you should do but what were the conversations you guys were having with your reps in that time when again you have good relationships you have good material but you're not getting the job um, I, I think they just couldn't figure it out and either could we because we'd say you know they you know we talked about us we you know we kind of did the the rehash after but I don't know that part never came up and we we thought that we just thought like we had to be funny and maybe we were coming off as too sticky because we were young you mm-hmm. know so there might have been other issues there but they really they literally said we don't know what's happening with you guys like did they, they have a course of action they wanted to take like did they have advice for you guys uh no I feel like you know they would warn us about the people beforehand. They'd say, you know, they're tough in a room or they're nice. It'll be an easy conversation. Um, you know, I think it was just kind of be funny. I don't think it ever occurred to them that we were dicks about the show. Um, <laughs> you went through two staffing seasons like that? Or? We went through maybe it was one full one. And then the second one was like we had had five meetings sure. and weren't on any lists. And right. then that last one of the second staffing <laughs> season was one where we got to. What were you doing for a living at the time? Um, I was working for an assistant to, she called herself a criminologist. She was a sentencing expert when there were rich, uh, it was when like basically rich people would get in trouble after they were convicted. (laughs) They would hire her to write up these 25-page reports to go to the judge about why their sentencing should be lighter. Um, So, you know, uh, and it really was you, like you could super, do a, a one-hour series. <laughs> you, you could. Yeah. No, there was actually a show. I think they developed a drama about her a few years before I got oh, there. Wow. But it really was. It was like one of the people was literally the grandson of a guy who invented seatbelts. So it's like really super rich. <laughs> and he had done something. I think was like a hit and run. And then I had to write a twenty-five-page report about his troubled childhood and why jail isn't the best thing for him. And oh my god. And so it was that. It was that type of stuff. That's what I was doing. And it was wow. interesting. You know. That's but crazy. Yeah. And were you and your partner generating more material in that time? Not enough. <laughs> we were, yeah, not enough. Well, what is enough? Uh, you know, I think you have to have always that attitude. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, sure, it's never enough. It was, I mean, we had had, we had written like an office spec and a, and a sample and a pilot that were two or three years old at that point. Okay. And we should have had something else. Like I, at this point I wouldn't feel great about having something that was only mm-hmm. two years old and what I was throwing out there. Um, what, but, year, uh, what year was that? Not today. You, I'm seven to maybe. Oh, so right, right. It was right after the, the strike? strike. Okay. It was right after the strike. Um, and I just, 
you know, and there were always other things like there was a movie we were trying to go out with. So we developed that. And there was so there was always stuff we were developing, but not actually writing Mm -hmm. because we didn't sell it. So then which is so easy to get into. I'm sure we've all been there. It's like you spend two years doing this thing and not actually writing Writing anything. Right. Which is insane. Um, And uh, and yeah. And then and then finally, that's when we wrote our new like the flea market thing. And Mm -hmm. that suddenly got us a whole new rash of meetings and opened Uh, things up for us. So. That's that not, not an unusual so that was story. Like, and I feel like that was right around the time when everyone was sort of switching to yeah. spec pilots. Like, it was all spec pilots yeah. at that point. Yeah. Yeah. From of yeah. existing shows. When I started, which was a little bit before that, it was it was like yeah. spec shows, spec shows. Yeah. yeah. What did you spec? I, well, I had a weird way. I fell into TV in a really weird way. I was a, I, I was a, a script reader mm-hmm. for the William Morris Agency for... I want to say three years. I, I looked. I lived in New York for a couple of years, and I worked for some indie film producers, and I worked on a bunch of like random, you know, like worked on this movie Gummo and mm-hmm. this movie Kids. Um, and uh, and then I moved out here, got a job as a script reader, and I would I would write from like nine to noon, and then I would cover scripts from hmm. from noon to six or so, and 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 you know, for coverage if you don't know is basically like a book report. So you know, I would try to do my writing in the morning so I didn't have the scripts in my head. Sure. And then I would just you know kind of rip through the, the scripts as fast. And as And was I the idea to become a screenwriter? I was trying a feature to, screenwriter. I wanted to be a feature screenwriter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I wrote. I I want to say I wrote maybe seven features before I ever sent one out to wow. an agent because I I just sort of the the best thing that that, that job was like my grad school because mm-hmm. like I I was reading I was reading bad scripts but I was also reading some great. Like I remember reading the early drafts of The Insider. Mm. I remember reading Aaron Brockovich. I, I read some incredible scripts that didn't get produced, you know. Um, but and, you really got a sense of the market. What's yeah, that? that's a great lesson. Yeah, I mean, in itself, just to read it's everything. A, it's amazing to me that so many people want to break into this business, but they don't bother to read scripts. You know, because we all have this relationship to to, to you know movies and television. Mm-hmm. So at the time, I wanted to do like indie movies and. I had been trying to write a werewolf movie for a year, and it just wasn't going well. And then one day I had this weird dream, and I woke up. I'd been trying to write more serious stuff, and I, and I woke up, uh, and I just was like, I'm going to write the script. I'm not going to tell anyone about it. And I just wrote this thing in a week, and I didn't want anyone to tell me it was a bad idea because I, cause then I would just stop. But like, it, was just, it just totally flowed, and it was a comedy. It was, like a, it was sort of like X-Men meets Office Space. Um, and I mean, long story short, that got me an agent. Um, you know, I got rejected from it. I want to say I got, I got, I sent it out to seven agents through some friends. Mm-hmm. I got rejected by five. I got a maybe from one, and I got this very enthusiastic yes from the other. And he sent it everywhere. Um, and I, we never sold it, but I got like a ton of meetings off it. I got like forty mm-hmm. meetings off at the time, and so I just was meeting and meeting me. And one day he calls me up, and you know, we, nothing was kind of happening. And then this was like 2000, I want to say. And then one day he calls me up in like the end of the year and is like, hey, um, you have any interest in television? <laughs> and I was like, sure. Because I, I, I like television. I'd always been told at the time that it was very hard to break in, like impossible to get yeah. through because it was like who you knew. And da, da, da. But I was like, sure, yeah. And, and uh, so he sent me this pilot. It was, it, was, it was a show that had been developed for NBC. It was called News from the Edge. And then, uh, and then it had been. It was done by Greenblatt Janelari at the time, who had Six Feet Under. They had like I want to say the Hughleys, and they had this show. <laughs> and they uh, they basically should, they resold it to Sci-Fi, which was SCIFI at the time. And now it's uh, SCY. It's SYFY. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the the show was sort of Men in Black in tone, and um, the the script I'd written was a perfect 
sample for this because mm-hmm. like they were looking for people who could do like who could do genre but could also do humor and do character hmm. stuff. And and that was sort of what that 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 was, and so I and that was yeah. very unusual at the time. It I mean, was. That, that I mean, kind it was like wasn't anywhere on was TV. Like Buffy was like was yeah. still there, so that was this was sort of in that zone. So I, I, um, I so I met with the Silvio Orto, who created it, who went on to oh, create sure. Ugly Betty, and then just they ended up we ended up getting along and. He, you know, I, and I, you know, it's weird. That, that was one of those like I remember having this long night of the soul where I was like, do I really want to do TV at the time? And I, I mean, I like I'll be first to say like I completely got lucky. Like I got I got in, I got this job, I sort of started doing it, and it was a terrific room. It had this, uh, you know, like um, Javier Grigio Marx watch was in it, who's a good friend of mine, and and uh, Narain Shankar and and Silvio, and then this guy's Applebaum and Nemec, who mm-hmm. like you know who worked on Alias and a bunch of other stuff. Stuff and did Mission Impossible, um, so it was a, it was a terrific room, and I sort of it was like I arrived and I was like, oh wait, why do I want to do movies? Like this is so much better because <laughs> like it, 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 it was a for a small cable show, you know, you produced everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like I was in the editing room, I was on set, I was giving tone meetings. It was one of these like crazy first jobs where I got to do everything, and it was all the things that I wanted to do. So it was like this, it was like this, you know curtain went up and I was like oh shit this is my this is this is the job yeah so uh, really and after that I, I wrote a TV spec because <laughs> I was like oh, maybe I should maybe I should do more of this and I did a six <laughs> feet under and that actually got me the job on Charmed after that but, really yeah weirdly. why six feet under I mean I know this is a while ago but it, it why, seems why like, did I get it or why did that work why did why did you choose that to write because I loved the show it, it was okay. new it had great characters I knew I could do the voices uh, yeah. you know like it was a great show to spec at the time because mm-hmm. like this was like 2001 because uh, it had that X Files quality, which was that you could do, you know, you could find a teaser that was really distinct and had, mm. you know, a specific voice and that people would remember. You they know, were like, doing those weird, like, cold opens. Yeah. Like, how somebody died. Exactly, and, yeah. exactly. Mine was an identical twin. So it was uh-huh. like this, the, the, it, you had, you could find a great, like, kind of, you could find a great, like, tease out where people were sort of shocked by <laughs> it and that people would remember. Sure. Um, and then, I mean, that show was so great for. You you know you you were it was a it was a family drama but you could tell these very distinct character stories mm-hmm. through you know and use theme throughout it so and then mm-hmm. like the the death would always introduce the theme in this interesting and way. you so got the job just off the spec you didn't even I, or the no and that and I met met, met with them but, but I'm yeah. saying you didn't need even an original pilot no the, not that I didn't write an original pilot for years like I wrote that and I wrote a shield spec and that kind of got me through I want to say till like oh God. I mean, that probably got me to 2010. <laughs> when, yeah, and that's really when it started. Did you read specs or pi- mostly pilots or um, pilot? I mean, like really, people don't really write specs, specs anymore. anymore. Yeah, of existing shows. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, it's, it's totally. Yeah. That's totally gone. I I think it's a bummer because I feel like it's a. I, from my experience, it's a much better arbiter of what how people will do like doing your show. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Definitely, but I guess it's like what you're saying is kind of having that like variety pack of different spices. Like you get right. to see what some of these spices totally, um, and you know. you're really getting the sense of their voice as opposed right. to you know. mm-hmm. yeah. But then you're asking them to do this, like to to break a pilot is, I, I mean, as you know, is brutally well, hard. I, I think I judge them differently. You know, like voice. I think yeah, of just looking for voice, something special, like mm. something you haven't seen. 
I mean, there's just so many pilots you read are the exact same story. It's like a guy who won't commit. I mean, really, <laughs> right. you know, and I was guilty of it, too, when I was first started out, you know, because you are just derivative because you think that that's kind of what TV is. Right. And until I wrote something like I wrote my, um, you know, like original pilot sample was kind of what broke me out. Mm-hmm. And I just you know, tried to write something that was just like, my, I used my own life experience, but not exactly what was happening to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think a good cold open, I had a really good cold open. I think that's really important for samples. What was it about? What was it? it was called Cake, and it started with a woman in a car eating a piece of cake from a Tupperware <laughs> and, and crying and, like, um, you know, like getting all of herself listening to Total Eclipse of the Heart. <laughs> and, um, and then you flash back and you find out that she's eating the piece of cake from her one-year anniversary, but they've already gotten divorced. And so it's like, you know, you find out all the stuff, she finds out her parents um, that her dad had an, a, had an, a child with another woman and she thinks that it's going to be this crazy you know situation how is she going to break it to her mom but it turns out they had like a threesome on a vacation and so <laughs> the mom like knew everything that was happening and it changes her whole like world view mm-hmm. um, but it was you know it was also really honest and emotional about my own breakup that was happening at the time and that's what people responded to was something real and it, yeah. um, that was happening to me and I think that the meetings, like Lana's talking about, of like when you go on those meetings, like how do you separate yourself out? And I think you have to control the meeting. Um, when awesome. So like when I was staffing, you know, people come in and they just kind of sit there and you're and you've seen maybe 10 people in a row. And so you're like, OK, so um, where are you from? <laughs> and if you let that person who's hired, who's on 10 people control the meeting, you're going to all you're going to get to do is say boring things nobody cares about. You're from one this one place and moved to another place. <laughs> you went to college in one place and now you're here. Maybe it's the same place. <laughs> like You wrote the spec that, you know, maybe I remember, maybe I don't. But I say I <laughs> you say you like the script, you know, like you have this it's such a, you don't get to anything real. So I would make sure that I got out like a funny story. Like I think that hmm. literally in my meeting for my name is Earl with Greg Garcia, I think I told him this story about like, um, like accidentally giving this guy a hand job that I was on a date with and like this crazy story, you know. And you accidentally? Yeah, yeah. It's like, and that's yeah, so it amazing. became like one of those stories and it became a chapter of my book. But, you know, where you just kind of like, like you have to it's not it wasn't like a bit it was like a real story that happened to me mm-hmm. but I was going to find a way to tell that story mm-hmm. I was going to find a way to say that I'm from Texas and tell a funny story about my family and you know why that would be good for you know my name is Earl like mm-hmm. I was going to tell him why I liked my name is Earl but in telling him I wasn't going to just use a bunch of adjectives I was going to say I liked it because my family is like that because this happened to me this would be oh my gosh this would be a great episode like this would be whatever and I'm going to fill my 15 minutes with you with with wall to wall with stories and things Mm. and that you're not going to hear from anybody else and you know and I feel like I don't I mean I had a lot of success like early on, like getting jobs and mm-hmm. I one job, a Nickelodeon job. Um, I like brought my like teenage diary in and I like showed them diary entries and it was about like, you know, teenage girls on like a soccer team and Jessica Williams from Daily Show was actually the star awesome. of it. And, you know, it's like you, you know, you just have to show a passion for it yeah. and you have to control what's happening in that 15 minutes because that's your only chance. And I think it's important to say that uh, so it's not misunderstood. You're not going in and making things up. 
No, in fact, no. it's the opposite. Yeah, You're yeah. really being honest about who you are and what you can bring to yeah. the table. Yeah, what's your connection? Yeah. You know, what are you bringing? Yeah. That's why I brought my high school diary to this. Just yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you it. You just carry it around. Yeah, just just exactly. Right yeah. Just, just <laughs> sneak it in there. I, I, always have, I think that's great what you just said. I, I always have this... Uh, 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 I always call it radical honesty. Like, I always go in and say, like, I'm interviewing them as much as I'm, they're interviewing me. I'm going and trying to figure out if this is a job that right. I would be right for. And I will make a point of saying things that I'm, that I, like, make a point of being genuine about it. Like, if I have, if I, if I have a nice thing to say about the pilot, I'll try to, I'll find a genuine thing, that, yeah. like, something I genuinely believe, and try to say something about how I think a show should be run, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And usually what I find is that, you, it's like self-selecting in a good way. Like you find by being honest in those meetings, and I don't mean like going in and being a dick. I just mean going in and being like trying to be yourself as much as possible. Be the person you want to be in the job. Yeah. You end up finding the jobs that are right for you. Yeah, you totally. Sure. I mean, and sometimes you may lose something in the short term, but like, and I think that 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 when you start out, that's probably harder. But I feel like in the long run, it's a much better recipe for career success. And you feel better if you don't get the job. Like yeah. you know, I remember meeting with like Greg Daniels for the office, and it was really awkward. And it was like at a coffee bean on like the west side, and it was just so. And it was like I had watched some of the new. It was like there was a first like mini season of six episodes, mm-hmm. and I had like not watched all of them, which was also really bad. And it was clear that I hadn't, and it was strange. And then he was like, "You should be a correspondent." Um, on the Daily Show, you know, and I was like, how did this change it into this? And like, what's happening? It's always a good sign when someone's telling you you should yeah, be doing something job. else than what you're interviewing yeah. for. That's not you know, only don't well. I want you. Yeah, exactly. You know, but it was like I also was telling funny stories about when I interned at the White House and like you know all this stuff that he was just interested in as a person. And even though you know I I got offered my name as Earl, so I you know he was not going to hire me, but you know I still didn't have to have that thing. But I felt right. good walking away from that of like I was. My myself and mm-hmm. you know we had a good conversation you know I made him laugh you know he made me laugh a lot more but you know, <laughs> you, know you just you feel okay about it and then you feel like you're yeah. you're two people right. that came together and maybe it'll work out maybe it won't versus going in and being like well are you are you going to reject me or not oh, okay well we'll see we're mm-hmm. casting and you never know what yeah. you know, I mean yeah. you're in that you guys are in that kind of or you will be in that shortly mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like well you may just be like the the flavor that you are may not mesh well with some other person that they yeah. want, and that has right. nothing to do with you. Yeah, yeah. totally. Well, I mean, they might already have one woman on the staff and might not need another woman. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to laugh at that. <laughs> no. <laughs> Let me uh, ask you guys. Uh, yeah. Or they might already no, have no. 13 white Jews, and they need one more. Right? Right. <laughs> Maybe it's an animated yeah. show. Um, let me ask you guys, and, and we're going to sort of go deep before we get out of this. Um, whether it is staffing, whether it is pilots, whatever it is, there's so much rejection in this business. How do you guys deal with it? You know, luckily I'm married, so I can. Uh, <laughs> so she gets to hear me bitch a lot. How does she it. deal with it? Uh, is she is in the business as well. No, she's not. Uh, she's I not. think this is an important thing. Um, yeah, so she adds a good amount of perspective to those to those types of things when it's just like, uh, yeah, even. Even now, when I, you know, there was one actor I really wanted, and it was just like they read it and they passed, and I was like bummed for ten minutes. She was like, "Yeah, you got a pilot picked up, like snap out of it, sure. like they're worse things." Yeah, perspective so, goes a long perspective way. goes a long way with that type of stuff. But you know, I just I've learned what when things don't work out, I just got to bury myself and write something mm-hmm. else. So that's kind of what I do. It's just on to the next thing, and the sooner I can get my mind working on something else, the sooner I can get over 
Yeah, that's, that's a good was. attitude. I, I, I mean, I guess I realized that that you. And it's early lesson in high school where I won a playwriting competition, and um, they put on like a rehearsed reading of all the winning plays, and it was mine was like. You ever see River's Edge? <laughs> super, super dark and like full of cursing. And they put it on with this play, and I was like, I want to say a junior in high school, and they put it on with this play by written by like a third grader, this girl in middle school. They were all very sweet, kind plays. And then this other one, that, uh, a guy who was about my age who'd done, it was sort of like Neil Simon-esque, like neurotic uh, story. And like when Mike came on, it the, the it made it was made worse because the third graders class was so proud they they got a bus and brought all the kids from the class to to, to the local theater to come see the play, and no one thought to tell them that mine was not appropriate. And like with the I mean the literally the first line is the f bomb, and, and they like I just heard this inhale, <laughs> and every afterwards everyone just looked at me like I was a psychopath. And, um, like, I remember my friend's mom, like, there was, like, a question and answer session afterwards, and God bless her, she was, like, trying to ask me a question. (laughs) But the thing I took from that was that not everything is for everybody, Mm -hmm. you know? And if, if you... Do what you are doing, and you do, and you like the thing that you're doing. Like it's not going to be for everyone. You're not going to be for everybody, and that's totally fine. You know, um, I feel like Neil Gaiman has this like list of things for writers that he suggests. And one of the things that I always think about is he says, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase, like write a thing, give the thing you've written to people who like the thing it's trying to be. <laughs> And then listen to what they have to say. But that is a that is the key thing. Like yeah. remember what you're going for, and don't take it seriously when people who don't give a you know a crap about the genre say you're working in, mm-hmm. and and then they say like, well, what? Why is there like? Why did there have to be magic in it? <laughs> you're like, well, because it's a because that's a show about magicians, right? <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's good advice. Yeah, I think it's really hard to not take personally, even when, like, an actor, like, passes on a script. You know, even, like, somebody that was coming in for, like, a third or fourth lead, and who knows why they pass. Maybe the dates aren't good or whatever. But then I go down, there's, like, a whole section on, like, your report from casting that shows who passed. And then it's just like, huh, oh, okay, great. Well, I always liked you in that bit part or whatever. I know why you haven't been doing anything for two seasons, you know. Um, and And it's hard to not, you know, go there. But I also think you have to remember that you have to trust that that you're you know, your success is going to be the right success. It's like when you're shopping for a house and, you know, if you don't get a house and you think it was everything you wanted and you don't get it, but then maybe the next house you find is like, you know, even better. Mm -hmm. So maybe if somebody, you know, rejects something that you do, an actor, a network or whatever, that it's going to end up in a better place or the next thing you do is going to better. You know, you have to remember that you're kind of on your own path and that, you know, there's been plenty of times where I thought that I really wanted something. And then if I had gotten that thing, um, like I, I had a job on Blue Collar TV, this sketch comedy show with Jeff Foxworthy. Mm-hmm. And I really was hired because they needed a woman. And, you know, I was from Texas. I didn't belong on that show. I did not contribute much on that show. But they didn't ask me back for the next season. And I was really devastated. And I got the phone call. I was at my sister's in New York. And I was sitting on like a stoop in Brooklyn, depressed. And I just found out my friends got hired on Letterman. And I was like, this is it. 
it. I got, I got, I was on the Orlando Jones show, also another huge hit, <laughs> and a blue collar TV, and this is it. This is the end of my career. Like, um, and you know, you you know, you look at those moments. But if I had gotten picked up on blue collar TV, I wouldn't have been available to to do uh, the next show I did, which is when a Nickelodeon show where I got to write four scripts um, yeah. as a tiny staff. I learned so much about breaking stories, like in that room, and that's when I went home at night and wrote the script that broke me out and you know and got me That's everything really cool. that I've gotten since then you know yeah. it's like my my Asian manager still sent out that spec script cake that I wrote That's you know right. all those years ago That's awesome. yeah it's really interesting you think it was part of the that moment forced you into like being your real self yeah finding the voice well because I yeah I had this dark moment I got fired from this job you know I uh, I had had like a you know tragedy in my family and then I moved home and my boyfriend of five years broke up with me and it was like then my mom got cancer and my cat got diagnosed with diabetes and it was like this really really (laughs) dark time and then you know it was just kind of channeling that into something and, yeah, wow. and and making it feel real and just being brave enough to to be real and honest I think in comedy especially I mm-hmm. think that you know people are lead with lead with the the funny what they think is funny they like write a whole script around one funny set mm-hmm. piece and it's like really all all comedy comes from a truthful honest real place and unless you get to that big funny set piece by something very real I mean every community as crazy as community got mm-hmm. there is nothing in community that ever came it did not come from a seed of something very real and truthful. For sure. sure. I think, and this, uh, I want to ask you guys, it sort of comes back to something Henry was talking about, which is ambition in storytelling. And, you know, you guys have been on, again, all different kinds of shows to varying ambitions. Uh, Your showrunners were varyingly ambitious. (laughs) Um, But I feel like being honest on the page is a big part of that, and that's a really hard thing to do, and it's a way to be ambitious in sort of a small way. Um, how do you guys sort of rally yourselves to be honest on the page? It's a hard process question. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I worked on this. Uh, I worked on the show Carrie Diaries, and the uh, woman who ran, Amy Harris, had a great. Um, she was trying. The show was a. It was a set in the eighties. It was a prequel to the Sex and Sex and the City, and 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 the goal that she had in mind in crafting the staff was that, you know, we're just going to be sitting around swapping our, like, teen sex stories. Like, that was the, the goal. And so we got rid of the writer's room table. Everything was in couches. We sat in couches around, like, the yep. central thing. And, and and she worked very hard to kind of create that atmosphere. And, she get, and it started with her coming in and telling us very personal stuff. Uh, and, it, and I think it opened up the room for everyone to mm-hmm. do that. I feel, and I feel like that that you need to be in an environment where that where you feel safe to do that. And when I'm, when I'm running a room, that's what I work very hard to do is to make people feel like if you're going to give something from your life, we're mm-hmm. not going to, we're not going to like, you know, we're going to treat that like it is, which is a gift. Mm-hmm. That is how I was hoping this would start, that we'd just sit around <laughs> talking about sex stories. Yeah, yeah. Going, it I like to <laughs> work out that way. All right. Um, yeah. I mean, I always look for like some emotional you know, truth or nugget of truth underneath everything that's going on in the script I write. So even if the comedy is big, at least if the characters are grounded and you understand what they want and what they want is something that we can all appreciate on some bigger level, Mm -hmm. then it grounds it. And you can make the comedic set pieces as big as you want as long as you know 
you know, well, my main character is just a guy who's lost, who's looking for love. At least if that's what's underneath it, that's something everyone else can say, oh, I can relate to that. And then they're already along for the journey and you can kind of heighten the comedy as long as that keeps mm-hmm. grounding it. Sure. Yeah, why, do, why do I care about this character? Or why do I care about this situation? And I think you always have to ask yourself that. And that gets to real answers. You right. know? Um, yeah, for the for, you know, my pilot now, it's about the flight from, you know, Burbank to Vegas. And it's about people who go out because they want to make money or money stripping in a Vegas club or, you know, to gamble and hit a thing of craps. And obviously that's not a flight everyone's been on. But, uh, you know, I think the universal truth underneath it is, but we've all had a thing that we've been really wanted and we're hoping this is the date that it's going to go well and I'm going to be the love of my life. So there's, you know, the universal concept behind it we can all relate to, even if you can't. Everybody's bought a lottery ticket. Right, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, we'll wrap up just uh, in the way we always do by asking you guys, and I'll start with Elon. What are you watching on TV these days? What's getting you excited or inspired? What are you talking about with your spouse, your room, um, whatever? Uh, I finished Search Party a few weeks ago. I really liked Search Party. That had a good combination of characters with unique voices that were Absolutely. great. And also had a hook that kept me like, oh, I wonder where this girl is. And I kept yeah. wanting to watch every week. That stuff sucks me in. Uh, we're watch- watching the first season of Fargo now because so we're behind great. on that. And that's awesome. Uh, we watched The Affair. We're very behind on it. It is such garbage. And <laughs> I love it. Oh, you, you can't think it's good, though, I right? It. All right, we'll I talk mean, after. This is a little weird, but I love it. This it's season great. got weird. For somebody who hates Rashomon, I love it. All right. Um, look, I can't stop watching it, so yeah. it says something. Yeah. I need to know what happens with Noah. It comes so I can't up all the time in uh-huh. Everybody is watching. I think that's it. Those, those are my good All right. Henry? Um, well, on Magicians, we'd always watch Game of Thrones. That was like a, you, you, you had to watch it when it aired because we were going to be talking about it for sure the next day. Um, I, I think Rick and Morty might be my favorite thing that I'm watching right now. Um, I, I just think it's an exceptional piece of, the, the, the writing is so good that it, it, and it, and it's so rare that you can do a show that is both the thing and the, a comment on the thing. While also simultaneously being a comedy, while also simultaneously having like heart, it's a real, yeah. mm-hmm. it's a real rare piece of work. Um, and I'm catching up with Westworld, which I, sure. I, uh, which I simultaneously admire and hate. <laughs> so I'm, still, still, I'm still working out my feelings, but I, I, I it, it's keeping me going. I'll tell yeah. you that. I'm on so. board. What's yeah. that? I'm on board. Yeah. I don't know what yeah. I'm about. It's, it's compelling, yeah. right? Oh, it's you very don't compelling. know why. <laughs> also, so I mean, it's just you know, I this is as a person who has to do like with working with basic cable budgets to try to do like big oh, sure. sci-fi stuff. You see the HBO stuff, and you're just like, seriously, guys, <laughs> <laughs> they have so much money. Yeah, you know uh, that it's in. It's almost infuriating because it feels like at some level they're not trying, but I but they are. I, I don't know. I, the, I find the show compelling, and I'm still watching it, so I yeah. don't know what to say. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll be curious to hear how you feel about the end. Yeah, uh, you know, I watch almost all dramas. Like I feel like you know, just comedy. You know, when you watch dramas, but I'm watching The Fall right now. Um, <laughs> I know it is really. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, it's like I guess this is season three now mm-hmm. that I'm watching. Um, I mean, Jillian Anderson. I mean, she's just so amazing, and yeah. it's just such a great character study. And um, I like creepy dark stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's good. And there's so much more creepy dark stuff than there ever was. Yeah. No, I mean, I'll that. watch a Dateline on ID like, all, <laughs> all night long. <laughs> yeah. uh, thank you guys so much for being here. Congrats Thanks. on all of your stuff and good luck with all of your stuff. 
Thank you. Thank cool. You. Thank you. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Thank <laughs> you.